to We Went Blues, episode 58. I'm Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic St. Louis, and we are in the middle of the Blues in Vancouver Western Conference quarterfinal series. The Canucks lead that three games to two. The Blues looking to bounce back game six Friday in Edmonton in the bubble. And one of the star players uh, in this tournament, and especially for the Blues, has been number 90, Ryan O'Reilly. And we are uh, really pleased to bring his father Brian O'Reilly in as our guest this week on episode 58 of We Went Blues. Lots to talk to him about uh, how his son is playing, what it's like with his wife Bonnie to sit on the couch back there uh, in Ontario and uh, and watch the games, th- these late games. I'm sure you're bouncing off the couch, Mr. O'Reilly. Yes, it's uh, it's been very exciting. And uh, I am really looking forward to the next game, I tell you. <laughs> well, congratulations are in order. First of all, uh, you and Bonnie, new grandparents. Uh, Ryan and his wife, Dana, had their second boy, uh, Declan, I believe his name is, uh, during kind of quarantine, I guess we'll call it, during those months. So uh, I know he has a boy, Jameson, written a little bit about the family in the past. And now you got the newest addition. So congratulations. Well, thank you. We've had two new additions. My son Callahan just had uh, their uh, had a baby, and uh, so I have uh, two new, three new babies now. So it's uh, we've got eight total, which is just oh, awesome. You can put a hockey team together. We're uh, we're we're gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a very uh, active dad with your uh, children you know, raising them and and coaching them. And we want to get into that in just a little bit. Uh, But kind of hard to be an active grandpa, I suppose, when, uh, you know, the family, especially Ryan's family uh, here in St. Louis, he's away in Edmonton in the bubble. But I'm sure there's a lot of FaceTiming and text messages. Mm -hmm. For sure there is. Um, You know, uh, I think he's getting lots of support and, um, you know, very connected to his wife, Dana. And uh, she's, you know, we're just very lucky to have such a great daughter-in-law and she's such a great mom. So I don't think he's got a kind of any kind of worry there. Um, she's a master at holding down the fort. So, (laughs) you know, he's Ryan's pretty lucky. He's got a wonderful girl. What's it been like? A lot has been made about the players who are stuffed in the bubble and and really don't have much uh, to do or places to go places to eat. And understandably so, uh, we all know the issue there, but these families, they're back home, you know, wives, girlfriends, uh, children, just trying to, to get along as best they can without the husbands who they're uh, so used to having their support there. So what's that been like for Dana with uh, Ryan up in Edmonton? Well, um, you know, we went down, uh, my wife went down first to St. Louis, uh, spent a week with Snook and then, um, I went down after um, and spent some time with Snook and Dana. And, um, you know, uh, it's amazing. Uh, You know, the wives really, you know, (laughs) man, they deserve a lot of credit because when you're, you know, have to do everything, you know, the husband's there with, with COVID and all that's happened and you can consistently rely on that other person to kind of, you know, be a parent. And then, you know, this hits and then they're in a bubble and you go from lots of help to zero help. Um, you got to hand it to those wives there. They make and break the players' lives. They're probably more important than anyone ever realizes. And uh, they sure deserve a lot of credit. Again, you know, they all, <laughs> I always see this, but... Behind every strong man, there's a stronger woman. <laughs> Definitely. I could picture those first few days, uh, Dana probably turning around and saying, hey, Ryan, can you grab? And then she turns around and he's not standing there like, oh, yeah, this could be a long yeah. couple months here. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, when their kids are young and, you know, I know that uh, Petro, you know, he's got three boys, oh, I think my. it is now, and, and just a fourth, like you can imagine. And and if they're anything like Jameson, Jameson's go, 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 go. So, <laughs> Your hands are tied and you're busy and that's just it. So, yeah, I really, really credit the wives. Well, you heard uh, Mr. Brian O'Reilly refer to his son, Ryan, as Snook. That's a a longtime nickname. I believe his uh, grandmother gave him that uh, a long time ago. And uh, so you'll probably hear him call him uh, Snook throughout the podcast here. And, uh, Brian, I remember I went up to Seaforth last year for Ryan's Day with the Cup and Boy, everybody calls him Snook. You had a lot of close family yeah. and friends there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that nickname. 
Well, Snook is a name that was given to him by his grandmother because at the time, you know, we were doing a lot of fostering and, you know, uh, I think at that time we had two or three other Ryans uh, or had two or three other Ryans and two of them were living with us at the time. So um, my mom, you know, she would always just always refer to him because he was a kind of kid that was, you know, if he saw something high, he had to climb it. If there was a hole in something, he had to go into it. If there was something he didn't notice, he had to explore it. And he was very kind of mischievous about it. And she just all would always say to him, oh, you know, in a deep Irish accent, oh, you're such a little snook, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, the new, and the name just stuck. He just... You know, everyone just started calling him Snook because she always referred to him as Snook. So that's kind of what it means. It's, I guess, an Irish term for a little kind of mischievous kind of person. So it just kind of stuck. No, it's great. Yeah, when I interviewed uh, some of his friends uh, for some of the stories I've, I've written, you know, they, they all call him that. And, you know, Granny O'Reilly, I got a chance to meet her uh, in Seaforth as well. Mm-hmm. And Brian, you know, I've been covering sports for 20 years, seen a lot of cool things, covered a Super Bowl, been to some uh, playoff games for baseball. I don't know that I'll ever see a moment that was more emotional and heartfelt than seeing Snook come around the corner of the fire truck at the uh, the fire department there in Seaforth, <laughs> raise the Stanley Cup over his head and turn and put it into the lap of Granny O'Reilly. Uh, I know you were standing there yeah, nearby. Awesome. How cool was that? Yeah, that was that was so beautiful. Those are beautiful moments and and you know, when you know, we kind of we grew up in uh, Toronto and you know, uh, we weren't uh loaded with money. We, you know, earned every penny we ever had and and Granny always managed to find ways to every year to buy him skates. And, uh, you know, it was, she's been in his hockey since, you know, he's been, you know, three. And, uh, you know, to see the reward of just the look on her face and the, the you know, the, the moment of happiness and triumph and, and joy of seeing him achieve uh, what, you know, his dream was uh, to a grandmother who's been a part of that dream. And, and she, you know, she laughs because I, we would come home, she would have Snook and Cal and, you know, our two daughters for a night and her legs sometimes would be black and blue because <laughs> she'd be getting hit with the stick and, and she'd be playing. My mom was a very good field hockey player in ireland and um it's so funny during the stanley cup we sent snook a clip of uh deirdre shown uh wins a game i think it was uh against uh some county limerick i think and scores all five goals yeah <laughs> so we kind of sent that picture to him and uh you know it's kind of a funny funny thing but uh yeah she's loves hockey she's been a great field hockey player and and um been a part of his life for hockey and always support him so like the whole connection it's it's like it's so much better than a like just a a memory it's it's like a celebrated joy you know for her that look and 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 she still talks about it and above her bed in the old age home is a big picture uh, of all the hockey and and then all the hundreds of little pictures, you know. So it, it's been a big deal in in Granny's life for a long, long time. And to share that, she's 101 now 101, and still going wow. strong. Yeah, that's yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's just joyous. It's just that's the only word you can describe it. I think it's it's just pure joy. And if I'm not mistaken, you tell the story of uh, sending the newspaper clip of her scoring the five goals in the field hockey game to uh, Ryan and, and Cal. I think Cal was playing with Iowa in the American Hockey League at that time. Uh, Ryan scored that night, if I'm not mistaken, against the Winnipeg Jets. That was first round last year of the playoffs. And Cal scored also. So they both had goals uh, that the next game after they received the, uh, the newspaper clipping. Yeah, I... You know, uh, you know that there's so many little things um, <clears throat> like that uh, 
that in our family, like sports has been absolutely huge and, and little things like that, uh, you know, you got to be careful not to, um, you know, hang your hat on those things. Are they coincidental? Are they what, whatever they are, but with our guys, they kind of, you know, happened a lot. Um, my father was a professional soccer player, uh, in Ireland and, um, he was on the old, old Irish team and, you know, we would often, you know, just send little reminders of, Hey, your grandfather's watching <laughs> and, and they know, they know the, 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 the player he was. And there was this, some huge tournament, uh, that, you know, Ireland, uh, was involved in and my dad got, uh, the goal that put Spain out wow. um, and they, they moved on. So, so uh <laughs> there's lots of little legendary things in our family and and sport is something that uh oh my gosh there, there's so many stories so many um blessings in those moments um and you know the impact they had you can not really say i always base it down to it's the hard work you do not those little things but i think those hard work leads to a lot of those things you know so where the tie-in, they must have some relationship, but I, I wish I could pinpoint where exactly and use them better, but <laughs> I'm not that smart yet, so. <laughs> There's definitely a, a tie-in, and, and what a treat it was for me. You know, I uh, I go to Canada during the hockey season, of course, to, to follow the blues and, and go to the rinks and the hotels, but I've never been, you know, kind of outside of city limits uh, in the summertime, and so now here I am in, in Seaforth, and what was it, July or August, I can't remember, and and uh, I'm I'm looking up on the internet, Brian. Should I stay at a Marriott? Should I stay at a Hilton right there in Seaforth? You know, what should I stay in? And uh, I traded emails with your wife, and she said, "Well, <laughs> I think there might be a, a bed and breakfast." So I stayed at a little quaint uh, bed and breakfast, and then I gassed up the car for what I thought was going to be a little drive to uh, the fire department where you had the Stanley Cup, and I want to say it was about a block and a half, so I didn't need much of that gas. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty small community, pretty tight community. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful community there. You know, Huron County is just a beautiful county. And, you know, right on the lake, we, you know, we call it Canada's West Coast. And um, it's just a beautiful area. Um, we have some just awesome little gems uh, like Stratford, the festival, uh, Bly Festival. We've got some just wonderful arts performing arts things here that hardly anyone ever knows about until they kind of get acquainted with the area and then you realize it's here it's just spread out yeah but uh yeah it's a great place to live i'm so glad we left the city and decided to raise our kids in the country that, that's a, a blessing and you really had that Stanley Cup moving around, which you have to do. You want as many people uh, to see it <laughs> as possible. And uh, what I'll never yeah. forget is you went to the rink where he played uh, growing up, and uh, you had a long line, of course. It was out the door, probably a few thousand people trying to get in and get a picture. And uh, they had to cut yep. off the line at some point, the keeper of the cup there. You know, you have to cut it off at some point. And when I watched him pull the rope behind these two guys, I went and interviewed them because uh, they were the last two to, to get in. And it turns out they made the trip from St. Louis. They were huge Ryan O'Reilly fans. I just can't believe uh, you make the trip all the way up oh, there wow. and, awesome. and the rope gets put right behind you. So they just squeezed in. What a story. Oh, that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's amazing how things work out. Eh? Yeah. They kind of got rewarded for being such great, great fans. And you know, that's a that's a great message in itself. Yeah, was it everything you thought it would be? You know, you you grow up those uh, five six a.m. practices, so on and so forth, and then there you had the uh, the cup inside the rink where you grew up. Was it everything you thought? Well, you know, it, it's 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 funny. Like I'm a high performance coach, and and I deal with a lot of um, really important moments. You know. I never ever thought my son would be playing in the Stanley Cup final. I never thought my son would win the Conn Smythe. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, you know, the names on that thing and uh, the whole thing. Like, it really wasn't something that, you know, I, you know, saw coming. All as I know is that 
you know, the, the level of work that the work ethic my kids have, um, because I don't think my kids are the talented kids. Um, it's, we're kind of lucky. They didn't have a lot of talent, uh, but they had incredible work ethics. And with that incredible work ethic, um, they open, you open yourself up and, you know, I believe that athletes like any person, if you're a high performance person and you want to really be at the highest level of anything, you have to get into a very special place in your brain called your creative system. And your training has to really um, come out of that create creative system. And you have to duplicate that in your practice so that when you get into a game where Listen, the team that's going to win is the team that produces the most quality. And quality is a matter of being creative and not going through the motions and seeing the game within the game, the stepping outside the game plan, yet not destroying the game plan um, so that you, you know, you're keeping your players on the same page. And I think that's what an incredible work ethic does. That's why, you know, anyone who succeeds in anything, in, and I mean this because, like, I, I work with lots of actors and actresses and dancers and, and as well as athletes and executive people that are under tremendous amounts of pressure. And if you can help people get into their creative system, I think that's where it's made. And, and it's not about talent. It's about your ability to drop your personal agenda. It's about your ability to dissolve your ego and you'll get to high places. Did I think a Stanley Cup? No. Did I think a Conn Smythe? No. But it just materialized. And it kind of reinforced to me, you know what, Coach, Coach Bry, that's what it's all about. <laughs> so keep doing what you're doing and, and keep, you know, sending that message to athletes and you know, uh, that's what I've been doing. I, I have such a privileged job to be able to coach these people and athletes. So um, that whole thing is more than just surreal to me. It, 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 it's very, it, it, it makes a lot of connections. That's why the trip was so interesting for me. Yeah, you know you're going there to see the Stanley Cup and, and Ryan hoist it and, and people get their picture taken. But I had seen a player... Uh, come to St. Louis and just uh, play so well. The little details in his game, uh, take guys under his wing, younger players. And I wanted to know more about what made him the player that he is today. And so as I walked around that rink that day, uh, just talking to people, I mean, you had uh, coaches, guys who played with them. You had uh, people who were rink employees back when, you know, Ryan and Cal were young. And uh, they would tell me stories about how, you know, you would bring the kids in 5, 6 a.m. And, and they'd practice. And the one story that really got my attention was, you know, they may not have been able, allowed to, uh, to turn the electricity on, the lights on at the rink because they didn't want to waste it uh, all day long for the kids. But they would turn one light on at the end of the rink. And Cal told me that uh, he <laughs> and Ryan would just slice and dice that one side of the rink up all day long because that was the only light that they had yes yes that is very, very true <laughs> well that's that's dedication there that's some work ethic. well yes it was and you know the other thing about this is like if you just take that simple example one of the things that we did we worked on basically um a thing where we decide we you know we looked at things and said, okay, how can we use the situation to our advantage? We've got one light. So let's work on our proprioception. Let's put a patch over the eye that gets the most light. And then, so now you're really limited in your vision and we're going to send pucks across to you and you're going to be really challenged to find the puck because it's going to go into the light and then go out of the light and then you got to find it. Well, in this game, it's all about finding pucks at the right places and being able to touch pucks. And, you know, it's, I think, training like that and their willingness to just, like, love that. Like, oh, my God, a new challenge. Oh, this is great. <laughs> like, they would just eat it up. 
you know? So uh, anytime they, you know, would make, they could find ways to make themselves uncomfortable. They were so willing to not just go through the motions. And that to me is what I'm talking about, that hard work. That you're not practicing, like doing things, like I see so many kids practice and they just do the same thing that they always do because it feels great to do it. They don't practice all the ugly things, all the things that are uncomfortable, all the things that, you know, don't, they don't create great feelings in your body. They create stress and strain and you can't find the puck. Well, that's where the due diligence is because that increases the details of what you're doing. And I believe in it. What they're comfortable with. You probably have a number of, you know, teenage hockey players been playing for a long time. They could actually run the practice because they're used to doing the same drills, you know, week after week. But that's where that extraordinary skill is developed with your sons and some of the players that you coached. And and I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, Blues fans can turn on Fox Sports Midwest and watch Ryan score a goal. They can watch him make an eye-popping pass like he had last night to David Perron. Uh, but it's the little stuff. We have a story up at The Athletic. Thomas Drance did a terrific job with it. He broke down some film on Ryan. And it's the stick positioning. It's the turning of the skates. It's being in the yeah. right place to, to, to put a play out. You, you know, you touched on that a second ago, just how some of those finer skills w- were made. But at the time, you're developing those and, and he's catching on. Just what kind of awareness did he have for what you were teaching them at the time and, and how it would pay off? Well, one of the things that, you know, that we've always emphasized, um, and we also emphasize this with the foster kids as well, is in, you know, anytime you approach any situation, um, there's three things going on. There's three levels of thinking, kind of. There's intellectual thinking, and that intellectual thinking is kind of wired into emotional thinking, which is wired into your physiology, which is your body. And your body is constantly giving you feedback. And if you in all situations can be aware of where you are in your thought process, intellectual, emotional, or physiology, and learn to not be at the effect of that. So let's, I want to give you a really good example of this. When, when he was young, we were at a tournament and um, he was quite young and he was playing a year up. And there was a situation that happened um, towards an end of a game where it was in the round robin play. He played a team and whatever the coach said to the guy taking the face off against him, he said something very kind of well it bothered him about his mother like you oh, know like, to me his, his mother's very beautiful and the coach said something very crass and rude about what my the coach would like to do to your mother well he missed the draw because it bothered him and when he came out of the rink they lost the game um and they still you know got a chance to play that team and it's so funny because they played the team again in the semifinals, but he was so distraught and I could tell he was bothered. And I said, this isn't about losing the game. He goes, well, of course it is. And I said, no, I don't think it is. What happened? So with tears in his eyes, he he told me what this little kid said to him while he was taking the draw. And I said, oh, Snook, I go, that's wonderful. And he looked at me, he goes, what are you talking about? And he says, it was awful. I'd never say that about his, his his mother, and I don't even know his mother. And I said, son, if you want to learn to play this game, that kid got to you. You let him get right inside your head, and we're at the effect of the information. And I said, if you don't want to learn how to, how to master that, I said, you're never going to amount to anything. Information, just information. And he took you away from what you love to do because you didn't have the capacity to be aware and focus. Well, he went dead silent and he thought about that. Well, the next game was probably, we think we played two other games after that. The third game we met that team and he scored four goals. Hmm. 
Uh, we beat the team four nothing, <laughs> and he never lost a draw. Well, at that you know young age, he I, again I can't remember the exact age. He must have been eleven or twelve, but he knew when he came off that he was at the effect of that information because we you know when the kids were having you know fight here like our house was kind of bedlam for a lot of the time because you know we brought troubled kids into our house because that's what we love to do we love to help people so you'd see a lot of things happen where people would say and do other things to you know to purposely piss people off well we have to teach them that you know what if you want to succeed and you you want to be the best person you can be you have you can't react to information it'd be the very same thing me saying to you with your partner or you know your wife or whatever if if she says something to you and you get pissed off that's your fault information is just information if you can't be aware and inquire in what's going on at any given moment well you're just an egomaniac so decide who you want to be and that's kind of how you know in all the training that i do with people it's all about awareness it's all about developing and tapping into a tacit uh, knowledge that's available that focuses on process, not outcome. And when you know humanity gets obsessed with outcome, we add pressure to ourselves, and then we lose our meaning and purpose, which is in the process. How you do things is far more important than the outcome of what you do. One leads to happiness. One leads to you know, bedlam. It sounds so simple when you say it. And in my, you know, dozen or so conversations with you, I've always thought of you as a critical thinker. You know, obviously that's, uh, that's your profession, but were you able, as you said, some of these things, uh, to snook, uh, whether you're coming home from the rink or, you know, with the foster kids at home, it, it would just seem like he has a unique ability uh, maybe more so than a lot of other people to process it and, and act on it and become a better either player or person because of it. Yeah, I, uh, again, um, you know, teaching high performance, you know, because kind of that's what I do. Um, I would say it's always been the greatest emphasis is is put on evaluating yourself never evaluating another person and if you can't learn to self-evaluate then you know it's always unhappy miserable people are always evaluating other people happy effective people self-evaluate and self-evaluation is a great opportunity with your children with your wife with the people you coach, with people at work. When you build an environment where people can self-evaluate, where you remove all the fear, remove all the punishment, remove all the things that create uh, a culture of coercion and fear, then when you do that, people will self-evaluate. And that's the road to success. That's the road to really build an environment of support and people having each other's backs. So for us, that was an essential part of, and is still, uh, um, I can give you an example of that if you really yeah. want a good example, because um, it's just so funny, but you know, they lost the first two games against um, Vancouver. Okay. And, uh, we had this, you know, conversation, um, and, you know, he was very open to just kind of inquiring into, okay, I've got to check into myself, forget about checking into anything else. Um, but really coming to a point of understanding where he's at, at a, at a person as a, as a person and as a player and, What's really kind of, you know, again, remarkable is there's always, there are times when he would call and if he asked me the question, dad, did you see my game? I, I always ask, I always say back to him, well, of course I did. <laughs> and when he asked me this question, 
well, how do you think I played? I know we're in a bad spot. Okay. When he, uh, because the next question out of my mouth is, why are you concerned what I think about your game? And it's almost like it's a way of kind of creating the fight. So if I give him any kind of feedback about how I think he played, then he can argue it and then blow off his steam. You kind of, you know, wreck the process, wreck the relationship between him and I. Well, I've learned not to give him the opportunity to do that. To withhold. I'm never going to evaluate his game. Who am I to evaluate his his game? What I try to do is say, okay, well, where are the areas that you think you did really well? And he'll say, and I go, okay, now, you know, where did you not do well? And then he'll name those things. Well, after that little conversation, he named, you know, he says, well, I wasn't good for the draw. And I said, okay, so what are you going to do about that? He says, well, next practice, you know, I'm going to get X amount of pucks. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice drop to the left, kick to the right. I'm going to go drop to the left, step right, push off, circle, drive. So we come up with these concrete plans of what he can do to get better. And he's got to do that. And I encourage all athletes and I encourage every all the work that I do with people, you make your own plan. Because if someone else makes the plan, if the plan doesn't work, you can always blame the other person. It was the wrong plan. Uh, makes sense. And this is normal in, in, in human behavior. This is what we do to avoid pressure. And like it or not, what you do under, under pressure determines your capacity to produce quality. So, you know, like that's kind of a little example. And then after the second loss... Um, I, you know, I knew the state he was in and I kind of, do you mind if I kind of give you what I said to him on a, on a text? Certainly. Yeah. Um, because I think it rings true to kind of, um, I'm just finding the text right now. Take your time. Just sorry. There's probably a little bit of downtime here, but I think it's a great, a great example. All I said to him, I just texted this to him after going into the third game, okay? <laughs> I said, free your mind from all that could be. Play in the unknown. It's the place of true creativity. That's all I said to him. Wow. Because he was like, you know, you get down two games. And this is what, you know, we always think. You know, we're notorious as people for when we get down to either depress, get angry, um, you know, afraid of taking risks. Uh, you know, we gear it back. We start playing safe. Well, you know what? If you want to be a high performer, you can't do that. You've got to be able to produce quality at will. And good teams create quality at will. And the only way you can do that is you've got to go out and be more creative and you've got to get yourself in that creative place in your brain. And then how I describe that with, to people is kind of like this. Um, can you do me a favor? Can you just imagine this for a moment? Okay. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're sitting with a group of people. And you're really people you really care about that are really close to you. And your best friend is there. And then out of your best friend's mouth comes some huge criticism about you in front of people you care about. And you are so dumbfounded. You don't even have a comeback. You like, it's one of those real uncomfortable moments. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you're kind of upset, but you you kind of put it down or you, you you just kind of continue the conversation and you're happy that, you know, that conversation's over, but you can't figure out why this guy did this. Well, then you go home and you get up in the middle of the night and you go to the bathroom or something, you sit on the toilet. And then what comes to your mind is the perfect retort. And you go, wow, I should have said this. <laughs> Well, that's your creative system. Your creative system, human beings have a creative system because whenever we can't or meet a problem or a challenge, when we can activate our creative system, it wants to activate 
and find ways to solve problems. Well, in high performance athletes, I think the best athletes play out of their creative system. They, it doesn't come from thinking. It's not about thinking the game. It's about having the confidence to move into your creative system and play out of there because you already, if you've grounded yourself in the hard work, the fundamentals will be there. And it's that creative system power that you notice that separates athletes from being good to great. Yeah. So if I may ask, how does he respond in that situation? All as he did is give the thumbs up, <laughs> which is a good sign. All I, I was going to say, that's a good sign, up. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the next he, game he goes out and I think he got a goal and assist that night. And and then again, then he got, a, I think, a, a goal the next night after that. That was last night, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Something like that, I think. Or one game he might have got a couple of goals. I can't remember. Sorry, I'm getting old. All the games blend blend together for me. Four goals and six assists, ten points in eight games. He's he's playing terrifically, and so it sounds like now we know the reason why your uh, your text exchange there. Wait a second. I I, I don't want to take credit for that. It's one <laughs> of the things. It does, it's just a piece, right? It's just a piece. Yeah. It's because he's done the hard work, and that's to, a credit to him. I, I I didn't have to make him do the hard work. He loved the hard work. I wanted to ask you: Can you, uh, when you're watching the game, can you know just watching through the screen how he's feeling, how he looks, what he's thinking, and what he might be texting you about later? No, I I try to watch things cleanly. I try to watch. I don't try to watch out of thinking, judge, compare, uh, evaluate. I just try to really sit back and look for quality and find the things that are quality about his play so that if he's down or, you know, he doesn't, he's not seeing it right. Or like, again, all my kids, they're like their mother. If they don't win, they they might as well just throw it all in because they stink. Like they just think like how many times has, you know, I've heard, Oh, I might as well give up. I stink at this game. Uh, you know, okay, relax. Let's look at what's quality. Like they take losing so personally. And my wife's like that. Like if she loses with me and we have a card game, she won't talk to me for a couple of hours after. Like <laughs> she's mad because she lost, you know? So she, they come about it honestly. Um, I can't tell. And, and, and I don't want to tell, like it's about to me finding the great things and acknowledging quality like that's one of the things i remember at the uh i was speaking at the nhl coaches conference and so many coaches about 30 coaches after came up and talked to me and said coach bry i i've never thought of it like that well you know what so much of teams do is they they have these video sessions and in the video sessions they catch guys doing things wrong and then they ask them well why did you do this and why did you do that and like the the coaches actually think they know the the game better than the players. Wow! They think that they know more than the twenty guys sitting on the bench. It's a joke. So I said to the and I said this right out in front of the you know right to all these you know five hundred six hundred coaches. I go the biggest arrogance in the game is you. And I said and 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 this is why when you hold video sessions and you you know, cut players, uh, bring, you know, bring them in with a group of players and then cut them to pieces through video and prove how, you know, the dumb mistakes they made. I go, you're destroying your team. You're destroying the person's character. And more importantly, you're destroying the environment to get better. So when one coach goes, well, what do you expect us to do? Show their great things? And I said, exactly. And if you can't find great things, show great guys doing great things. And say, hey, this is what we want you to do here. Look how this works. What were they thinking, do you think? Or what did they see? Or, or you know, what can you see here? That, that they're doing great. Look at the quality of what they're doing. Now, do you think you can replicate that quality? And I believe people can. That you, hey, you catch more flies with uh, honey than you do with vinegar. 
and uh, this external coaching. We've got to get it out of and away from people because it's very ineffective. Yeah, very ineffective. Speaking of of great and acknowledging quality, can you watch the game? You know, as a as a spectator, and you know, I touched on that pass he made uh, behind the back, kind of no look to David Perron last night in front of the net. Do you ever find yourself just saying, "Wow"? Oh, constantly. But hey, I was doing that with Schenner. I was doing that with with Schwartzy. Uh, I, you know, some of the things. You know, I, 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 you know, did some uh, work with Pat Maroon for a while, and 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 you know, helping him kind of put his game back together. And then, you know, when he translated some of the things that we were talking about into the play, he was stellar. Like when he just was Pat Maroon and and lived into being Pat Pat Maroon, he did so much to affect the game that was putting us over the top. You know, so there's quality happening all over the ice. And I want to watch a game. I don't want to find fault and and mistakes. I want to look and see the positiveness of things and the quality of things. Like, God, if I find mistakes, then, uh, like, I don't like that feeling. <laughs> Evaluating other people and finding where they're making mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, why do you think uh, Ryan has been such a good fit in St. Louis? You know, everybody talks about being moved from Colorado and, and Buffalo, and we don't need to rehash those stories. But why do you think he's been such a good fit here in St. Louis? Well, um, I, I think, well, there's probably a few reasons. Um, I think, I think that, you know, the GM has done a great job at creating players that are hard to play against. And when teams are hard to play against, it means they're basically committed to what they're doing. Um, the second thing is, I think um, uh, Brubay creates an environment that is really, really simple and trusts his players Um supports them when they're down. Um, he's creating an environment there where he's leading by giving the players what they need by direct contact, not theory. And, and I think that's a really important thing. There are so many coaches that are great in the head in the theory of the game, but he's very, very practical. He's picking up on the real simple things, like a forecheck is a forecheck. What is the job on a forecheck? If you're F1, what is your job? You know, get the puck. If you can't get the puck, it's squeeze the guy off, contain the guy, he doesn't get away from you. And so F2 can do his job, F3. When you keep the game really simple like that and you talk the game on simple terms and then your game plan is, you know, it's it's compete-driven. That's another thing is, is huge. Uh, when you're in the space of competing um, and the coach is really – interested in a high compete level and promotes a high compete level that's another wonderful process there and i think whatever the you know ever lined up st louis was on a great track uh they added snook and i always laugh because he says okay let's go and win a stanley cup like he yeah. felt something right away from the gm and he felt it like he said, I know this is the fit, you know, cause that's what he talked to me about. He goes, I just know this is a fit. And I said, well, of course, because something is being activated. You can feel your creativity and that's where all excitement comes from is our, our creativity is hit where we know where we can be creative. You get excited. When you, when you know you're going to do something mundane and non-creative, just go through the motions, you're not excited. And it wasn't the same old. 
So it was a great conversation he had. He brought out in Snook that chance to be creative, and he jumped on it. For anybody unfamiliar with what uh, you were just uh, mentioning, the Blues took a video of Doug Armstrong and Ryan O'Reilly talking for the first time after the trade. You know, that, that video's been out for a while. I think we'll be seeing it for the next 50 years, Mr. O'Reilly, uh, where, where Ryan says, Doug, let's go win a cup. You know, let's let's go win a Stanley Cup. And, of course, you know, a, a year later, they are winning a Stanley Cup. So that was terrific. Well, I was on the ice with you and your family last year in Boston. You know, what a privilege, you know, just a reporter growing up in St. Louis to be allowed on the ice and walk around and see the joy uh, in, in all the families. And, in fact, I think I grabbed some of the cameras and I was taking pictures for some of you guys so you could have the entire clan in the, in the picture. Just what a, what a great moment. And uh, yeah, as we wrap up here, uh, Brian O'Reilly, uh, Ryan O'Reilly's father, who has been absolutely terrific, so insightful with your thoughts here. I just wanted to ask you, you know, it's a 3-2 series in favor of Vancouver, and uh, the Blues pulled a lot of things out of their hat last year on that run to the Stanley Cup so that you could stand on the ice with the rest of the families. What do you think about uh, the rest of the series? Do you think they can uh, show that resiliency that we've seen in the past? Uh I, I have no idea. Um, it, it's what it's going to come down to, I believe, that any competition comes down to is the team that one wants it the most, is willing to compete the hardest, and um, has a little bit of luck. And those three things, they go together. Uh, what I was really concerned with, and Snook and I had this conversation several times uh, during COVID is um, when we would talk about his physical training, um, I said, well, it's going to be essential for you to keep yourself in great form. And um, a lot of players, I said, the players that don't are going to drop to hamstring and groin injuries uh, who haven't been looking after themselves. Um, you're going to see a lot of those injuries and um, make sure that you're doing your foundation training. Make sure you are um, training and maintaining the flexibility in your joints. And got to work harder and smarter because, you know, it's classic when, you know, there's been, uh, you know, strikes, injuries go up. When breaks like this happen in a season, injuries go up you know, tenfold. And it's crucial that, you know, you're going to keep this going. Um, do I think the Blues could do it? I think the Blues could go all the way again. But the only way they're going to go all the way is by having each other's back. Winning on a team comes down to one thing. And I think, you know, we haven't talked about this, but the number one thing is, in anything that human beings do, the success of how they do depends upon how well the people doing it get along. And if they are playing for each other and not for themselves, supporting the puck, playing their role and doing it so their line mate can succeed, we are going to kick everyone's ass. <laughs> That's what we saw last year. And that's what it's all about. It's the hardest cup to win because the game is grueling. The speed of the game is grueling. And it takes those types of relationships to consistently win a championship. To win a back-to-back, -back, oh my gosh, that's incredible. You can't have one link that isn't supported and as strong as every other link. And if you do, the other team will exploit it and they'll beat you. Now I know why he's such a great teammate. Uh, just listening to you, you know, for the past uh, half hour or so, I, I, uh, I want to be a good teammate. <laughs> I want to call one of my colleagues at the athletic and ask him how I can help. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nice. That's Hey, compassion, love, care. That's why we're on the planet. It isn't for ourselves. And, you know, what you can do to hold up another human being 
and show the other human being their own greatness, to me, that is a life examined. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Can I make a request though? What's that? If I'm struggling with an article, I can text you and ask you, what do you think of the article? And <laughs> get some feedback. I would love, I'd, I help people continually just out of the love of helping. So anything I can do for anybody, I, I, I try to do but with the highest quality. Even this. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't no, expect myself is... to be doing this. But you know what I mean? I, I hope I'm giving you my, my best because I'm trying, even though I'm, I'm tired because I've been coaching for two days, beach volleyball, and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will uh, certainly let you go. We thank you for carving out this time. I know that uh, listeners are going to eat this up, and especially hearing uh, your relationship with Ryan and you know how it began and, and, and then just taking him through the process and, and what a man he's been become because uh, everyone here in St. Louis is a huge fan of number 90 and, and hopefully these thoughts uh, from his father Brian O'Reilly will even offer more behind the scenes of what uh, they watch on TV so thank you thank you thank you so much for joining us uh, it was terrific and uh, anything you need we're here in St. Louis for you if you need anything it's a it's a great city, great fans, and I, again, I was just overwhelmed in that parade by the, the beauty of the people and the generosity of the people and the kindness of the people, and the support uh, behind the team. It just, you know, I was very emotional about it a couple times. So it was, it's just a beautiful memory. So thank you, St. Louis, for those beautiful memories. Well, your family was a big reason they were able to uh, celebrate that finally after 50 years. So so thank you, Mr. O'Reilly, and uh, hopefully, hopefully one of these days we'll be able to see you at the rink again. All right. Take care. Well, we want to thank Brian O'Reilly for joining us on We Went Blues. That was episode 58. In addition uh, to Wednesday with Pierre Lebrun, we've got other podcasts. Scott Burnside has a daily playoff edition of the Two Man Advantage Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday released at 10 a.m. Eastern throughout the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. Scott keeps you up to speed with all the NHL action, plus some of the Athletics' best hockey writers stop by to help break down the games and look ahead, and that's only at the Athletic. Also, Kenny Albert, he's covering the Western Bubble for NBC Sports. He joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source at the Athletic. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. We went blues on Apple and click on www.theathletic.com forward slash we went blues to get 40% off your subscription. We hope you enjoyed episode 58 of We Went Blues, and we'll be back with you next week. We'll be right back.